Many people consider themselves uh, to be Christians, and why shouldn't they? Uh, in America, uh, we enjoy a very uh, rich Christian heritage. But if you were to get out into your neighborhood and take a poll, and you were to ask 10 people, let's say you went to 10 houses and said, uh, what is a Christian? There's a possibility you would get uh, 10 different answers. And it's very sad, but most people today are confused about this crucial, most important of issues. What is a Christian? When it comes to being a part of the family of God, <clears throat> God wants each of us to know exactly where we stand in His eyes. The purpose of this message uh, today is not to make you doubt your relationship with God, but it is to uh, cause you to have a full and complete assurance that you are one of his true followers. So again, the question that we're going to answer in this message today, one sermon, this isn't a series, just doing one sermon, and really what we want to do is um, put this message uh, on a CD, make it available to you so that when you're talking to somebody about Christ, when you're talking to somebody about becoming a Christian, you can just hand them one of these CDs, tell them to listen to the message, and then come back to you with any questions uh, they might have. As with most things in the world, humans have a lot of ideas about truth, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. So if you'll get your uh, note card there, and uh, you can kind of follow along with me in the sermon notes, and it says that we're going to begin with nine myths about uh, what it means to be a true Christian. Nine myths. The, this is what people think true Christianity is, but they're mistaken. <laughs> uh, so, actually, there's ten, so I added one more right at the last minute. And I know you're excited about that, that I added one more. So uh, when you get to the bottom of the nine, just add one more. Let's look at nine, yay, ten myths of what it means to be a Christian. Some people think, myth number one, I'm optimistic. I'm a positive thinker, so I must be a Christian. And normally, a Christian is a very cheerful person. Normally, a, a Christian's very excited about life, and they genuinely care about others. A Christian is a person who understands that he or she is valuable in the eyes of God, and uh, just like we said last week, God made us to love us. And when you understand the truth, when you understand the things of God, it makes you a very optimistic person. But optimism alone does not make you a Christian. It is possible to have a certain sense of well-being and a sense of self-worth and have those feelings apart from a relationship with God. If you'll go to any secular bookstore, you will find a huge section dedicated to making you feel better about yourself. The whole self-help section. And you can read all those books and you can get a, a good positive outlook on life and you can have a... Um, a better self-esteem and all of those things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Christian. Thinking positively about life in general and about yourself in particular, again, doesn't make you a Christian. Number two, on that line, write the word church. <clears throat> church, on the first line, you wrote the word optimism. 
on line two, church. Being a church member, hey, I'm a church member. Or of course, here we call them owners. Or you might say, hey, I took the class, man, and I stood up on the stage. I, I'm one of the owners at the bridge. I, I go to church. Did you know it's estimated that on a normal basis, about 20% of people in America go to church on Sunday? Isn't that amazing? And uh, last Sunday was Easter, so they estimate that maybe 30% were in church last Sunday. So does that mean these people are Christians, true Christians, what the Bible defines as a Christian? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that. Let me give you some reasons why people go to church. Some people go to church for political reasons. It's a great place to go if you want to be seen, if you want to uh, have uh, uh, some kind of influence in the community. A lot of people come to church so they can say, I go to such and such Holy Bible Church, you know, and uh, they do it for political reasons. Some people do it just because it's a great social thing to do. You get to connect with friends and family, and I love that about church, and I want you to feel that way. That's why we have the environments we have uh, throughout our facility here, so you can connect with friends and family in the community. Uh, youth often attend because um, their mom and dad made them come to church. Anybody live in that world back when you were young? You know, uh, you were on drugs. Your mom and dad drug you to church every Sunday. Uh, people attend church uh, to enroll in special classes, and we actually have those classes so unchurched people will come. Uh, we'll have a class on how to have a healthy marriage. You know, even if you don't want to go to church, you want to know how to have a healthy marriage. We'll have classes on parenting, and uh, we'll have classes on membership. I've heard of churches that have what they call confirmation uh, classes that children go to. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but you just need to understand going to those classes, going to church, doesn't make you a Christian. Attending church, being involved in the life of a church, certainly is one of the marks of someone who is a Christian, but it has nothing to do with making you a Christian. How many of y'all remember Dr. S.M. Lockridge, the great African-American pastor uh, who, who, who did the little video? You've all seen it, That's My King. You'll see it, That's My King. Y'all remember that video? I love what he said. He was a guy who knew how to use humor in, in his sermons. I need, to, I need to learn that from him. But um, here's what Dr. S.M. Lockridge said. He said, can I say it in his voice? Do y'all mind if I say it like he said it? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than putting kittens in an oven turns them into biscuits. Amen. <laughs> so that's pretty good, wasn't it? So going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Go home, get in your oven. You will not become a biscuit. That's deep stuff. Write it down. Myth number three. Myth number three. On that line, write the word America. I'm born, I was born in America. I was born in a Christian nation. So I'm a Christian. Some people say that. And, uh, you know, they'll follow it up with, yeah, I'm a Christian. I was born in America. What do you think I am? Some kind of pagan, heathen? Yes, yes we do. Um, since when does where you were, were born determine what you are? Isn't that true? Okay, number five, number four, number four. Write the word family. Write the word family. Being, I was born in a Christian home, pastor. My dad was a deacon. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. That's the kind of home I was born in. Sure, I'm a follower of Jesus. Sure, I'm a Christian. 
But you see, that has nothing to do with you being a Christian. You should be thankful for your Christian family, and uh, you should be thankful that you were born into a Christian family, but you would be greatly mistaken if you believe that because of your mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or because of some aunt and uncle that they're wonderful Christians, that doesn't make you a Christian. They're a Christian because they had a relationship or have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Dr. Lockridge had something to say on that point as well. Here's what he said. God has children, but he don't have any grandchildren. Amen to that. Myth number five. Goodness. Goodness. I mean, pastor, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And pastor, I know some people who say they're great Christians, and I'm a better person than they are. You know what? That might be true, too. That could very well be true, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Dr. Uh, Adrian Rogers, how many of y'all love to hear Adrian Rogers? He's in heaven now, but what a great preacher. He, here's a great thing he said. I love this. He said, and this is worth writing down if you got room in your notes there. The worst form of badness, B-A-D-N-E-S-S, the worst form of badness is human goodness when it becomes a substitute for the new birth. The worst kind of badness is human goodness when it becomes a substitute for the new birth. And we'll talk about what that new birth means in just a minute. Living a clean and moral life does not make you a Christian. I know atheists who live a clean, moral life. The world has always had plenty of good people in it. So if goodness were enough, if goodness could get you into heaven, if goodness caused you to have a relationship with God, then why did he send his son Jesus to die on a cross? Think about it. The very fact that Jesus had to come and die on a cross to make your forgiveness, the forgiveness of your sin possible, shows that personal or human goodness doesn't make a person a Christian. Myth number six, myth number six, generosity. Write the word generosity right there. Pastor, I'm a generous person. I give to the poor. I serve. I go to the soup kitchen. I mean, pastor, I give money to people who... Uh, you know, have lost their job. I helped some people pay their light bill. I know some people who their children were hungry and I helped. I mean, pastor, I do that kind of stuff and I don't tell anybody about it. And, and, and surely that means I am a Christian. And many of us were taught since our childhood that we ought to give a portion of our income to the church or a portion of our income to charity. And whether we're rich or poor, uh, we know that it is our duty to be a generous person. And that's commendable, but again, it has nothing to do with somebody becoming a Christian. Did you know Christians, more than any other kind of people in our world, are the most generous people to others? But the fact is, you can give away everything you own and not be a Christian. Number seven, number seven, myth number seven, communion and baptism. Communion and baptism. Some people think receiving one of the sacraments of the church or participating in a Christian celebration like baptism makes them a Christian. Um, maybe you were a, a baptized as a child. Maybe you were a part of a denomination at one time that they would bring the little babies up and they would 
pour the water and christen them and baptize them. And maybe you are left with the thought that that made that child a Christian. It does not. We run into this here at the bridge quite a bit because a lot of people were brought up like this. And we're not trying to be mean or harsh. As a matter of fact, we're trying to be very loving and tell you that nowhere does the Bible teach that. Nowhere is that in the Word of God that you can christen a child or have a child dedication and that makes that child a Christian. It does not. It does not. As a matter of fact, what you're really doing at a child dedication is you're not dedicating the child as much as parents are dedicating themselves to bring the child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So uh, it's very important for you to understand that baptism uh, does not save you. You can come up here at our next baptism and we can give you one of our red t-shirts that says, I died in this shirt. And It'll get you a lot of attention when you go to a restaurant. People see that on your T-shirt. But, but that doesn't save you. Be, let there be no mistake about it. You are water baptized because you have come to Christ. Because you are a follower of Jesus. Because you have given your life to Jesus Christ. Um, you can tell I've been listening to Dr. Lockridge quite a bit recently. I love this little statement he said about that. He said... <clears throat> You can be baptized so many times the tadpoles know your social security number. I don't even know what that means. But I guess you got your wallet and the, you know, whatever. But that doesn't save you. Uh, and uh, look, hey, if you guys like the um, imitations I'm doing, just put it, you know, put it on Facebook and I'll try to do more. Um, thank both of you. Um, <laughs> Maybe you, you think communion. Maybe you come from a church, a denomination, or a, a religious system where they did communion every Sunday. And, and you say, man, I, I mean, I did that every Sunday. But again, same thing with that and baptism. Both of them are biblical, and God commands that we do both of them, but we do them because we are Christians, not to become a Christian. Does that make sense? Okay. Myth number eight. This one might surprise you. Believing in God. Believing in God alone does not make you a Christian. You can believe what the Bible says about God. Um, you can believe, you can read the Bible, you can believe it, but it does not automatically make you a Jesus follower. Eight out of ten people in America say they believe in God. Eight out of ten. But they are, but they are not all true Christians. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> I believe in exercise. <laughs> I'll just say that, right? I'll just stop right there. I believe in it. I really do. I believe in eating right. But does it mean I exercise? And does it mean I eat right? No, it doesn't. It does not mean that. I know some little Royal Ranger boys, and if you ask them if they believe in soap, they would say yes. But believing in soap and using it on a regular basis on every part of your anatomy is not necessarily true. And the parents said, <laughs> belief alone makes no difference. It doesn't make somebody a Christian. People say nice things about Jesus. They speak well of Jesus. 
I know some churches that speak very highly of Jesus, but they won't say he's the Son of God, and they won't say he's our Savior, and they won't call him the Messiah, and they won't say that uh, a person has to receive him to be reconciled to God. Uh, They won't accept that. They won't say it. They won't preach it. i got to tell you something. It isn't enough to say nice things about Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate said nice things about Jesus. Pilate said uh, about Jesus, he said, I find no fault in this man. I mean, he confronted the Jews. He said, why why are you bringing him here? And he had questions for Jesus, and there was a time when Pilate's heart was really sincere. Y'all have heard me talk about this before, and Jesus talked back to him, and Pilate was very respectful of Jesus, but that isn't enough. I know the world tells you it's enough. I know that. I know you hear it everywhere you turn, but I'm telling you, the Word of God doesn't teach that. Some people have a distorted view of Jesus. What a lot of people do is they take Jesus and turn him into something that fits them and fits their life and fits their theology rather than seeing the Jesus of history and the Jesus of the Bible. Now, what the Bible calls that is unbelief. And unbelief disqualifies a person from calling themselves a real Christian. Number nine, another myth, prayer. Pastor, I pray. I pray, Pastor. I I, I talk to God all the time. And certainly Christians pray, but someone can pray and still not be a Christian. Hindus are not Christians, but they pray all the time. Muslims And they'd be the first to tell you are not Christians. And if they're really committed, they carry a little rug around with them and lay it down and pray five times a day. But they're not Christians. So praying, talking to God, especially, I know a lot of people who talk to God when they're in trouble. And um, that doesn't make you a Christian. Number 10, this may surprise you, the Bible. Reading the Bible, knowing the Bible. Makes you a true follower of Jesus? That's a myth. Christians love the Bible. Christians ought to read the Bible. Some of us read the Bible daily, but just reading the Bible doesn't mean you're a Christian. Did you know Karl Marx? Uh, We all studied Karl Marx in history and school, and you know that Karl Marx was, uh, you know, you hear the word Marxism, and uh, Karl Marx was against freedom, and um, he he believed in uh, more of a communist type Uh, government. Karl Marx has gone down in history as uh, someone who would be anti-God, anti-Christian. But did you know when he was 17 years old that Karl Marx wrote a fantastic explanation of part of the gospel of John in the New Testament? As a matter of fact, great theologians today say that it is very accurate and one of the best writings on the gospel of John, the passage he wrote on, that they've ever read. But Karl Marx eventually rejected totally the Bible's authority, and during his adult life, he called himself an atheist. You can be a student of the Bible. You can go to Bible college, you can go to seminary, but that does not make you a Christian, knowing the Bible and reading the Bible. Nikita Khrushchev, the former uh, premier of the uh, Soviet Union, read the Bible when he was a boy. Yet later, he made it his ambition. As a matter of fact, he made this statement by the year 1965. 
He said, I will bury any sign of the church in the Soviet Union. However, he is the one who is now buried, and the Russian church is thriving. God is moving in Russia. Amen. <clears throat> now, the media is not going to tell you that. One of the greatest revivals going on is in Russia and also in China. And the revival going on in China is being led by teenagers and young adults. And they don't even have buildings. They meet in the woods. They meet in the forest. And, they, and, the, and the gospel is spreading through China like wildfire. And I praise God for that. Yes, read the Bible all you can. It's God's word. It's not man's. And we can trust the Bible completely. But reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. So here we go. What is a Christian? What is a true Christian? Flip your card over. I believe it's time to flip it over if I remember how they did it. And uh, we're going to answer that. I'm going to give you three basic principles from God's Word that describe what a real Christian is. Number one, number one, a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to God. In the Garden of Eden, we got cut off from God. In the Garden of Eden, man and God were together. But man sinned, and it separated us from God. And there is a great gulf now, a great gulf between God and man. So man, in order to go to heaven when he dies, in order to have an abundant life here on the earth, has to get reconciled back to God. That is why God sent his son Jesus Christ, God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and pay for, pay the penalty for our sin. There is no other person that, you know, the Bible, uh, the world will tell us that Jesus is a way. He isn't a way. He is the way. We'll talk about that. Matter of fact, let's talk about it now. John 14, 6, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, look at that, no one comes to the Father. And where is the Father? Where is he? He's in heaven. So no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to argue with Jesus, you certainly can. You have every right to do that. I'm just telling you what he said you say, well, Jesus was pretty narrow-minded, wasn't he? Yes, he was, absolutely. Jesus does not say he will show us the way. Jesus did not say he is one way of many ways. He says, I am, everybody say it, the way. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus spoke of a narrow road that leads to life and a broad road that leads to death and destruction. The reason the road that leads to life is narrow, if I can be very blunt with you today, is because not many people are going to choose that road. That's why today, 20% of the people in Wayne County are in church, and 80% of the people in Wayne County are not in church. Narrow is the road, and I'm not saying again, church means you're a Christian, but it's one of the things Christians do, Narrow is the road that leads to heaven. Broad is the road that leads to death and destruction. There is one road, one path. Let me just give you some things under number one here that you're going to experience when you come 
to Jesus Christ as the reconciler, as the Savior. So here's man, here's God, here's a great gulf. So what is the bridge? What is the bridge? The cross, Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus. So look what Jesus said. In John 14, 27, he said, I give you peace. Anybody here use a little peace in their life? Anybody? Uh, peace. Peace is, a, is a, a need we all are desperate for. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. He said, you can find a kind of peace in the world, but the kind of peace I give you and the kind of peace the world gives you are different. He says, I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives you. What is the, what's the thing about the world's peace? It is what? It is temporary. It's temporary. You know, I get very excited when um, Burger King and Bojangles and McDonald's comes out with really, really great deals. And, uh, and I know y'all do too. And I, I like the way y'all all act like you eat health food all the time. But that's all right. God knows. And so, so I get all excited. You know, two Big Macs for $2. Come on. I mean, that's just awesome. And, uh, but I hate what they say right at the end of the commercial. They say, for a limited time. And that's how the peace that the world offers, you might have peace. The, matter of fact, the Bible talks about the pleasure of sin. The Bible doesn't say sin is not pleasurable. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, a limited time. But that's not the kind of peace that God gives. That's not the kind Jesus gives. Number two, and we're still under um, what, what, does it, uh, what makes you a real Christian, and the first one is Jesus is the only way, and Jesus gives us peace. The next thing he gives us, and this is awesome that he gives it to us because we can never get it on our own, is purity. He, listen, when you come to Jesus and give your life to Jesus, yeah, he cleans you up, but it's more, it's, I start to say it's more better. It's more better than that. More better, more better, more better. It's better than that because here's what Jesus actually does. He imparts to you his righteousness. He cleans you up, but then he imparts to you his righteousness. Did you know that the only thing that will get you into heaven is the righteousness of Jesus? Because if you try to get righteous, the best you can do is your righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, if I told you what filthy rags were, it would probably nauseate you. That word means the kind of rags that were taken off of lepers after their sores had drained into those rags. That is as clean as we can get on our own. And that's not nearly clean enough, is it? It is, it is the, listen, this is so important. Salvation is the impartation based on your faith on the cross and the resurrection and your receiving of that work of Jesus and the resurrected Jesus. When that happens, he imparts to you his righteousness. He imparts to you his holiness so that on judgment day, when you stand before the judge, he doesn't even see you. He sees the righteousness of his son. Somebody say hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good? That's beautiful. And we thank God for that. Look what he says in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the in heart, for they will... I was planning on that, weren't you? But you've got to be what in heart? You've got to be 
pure in heart. And you cannot get that purity on any of the ten things I mentioned at the beginning of this message. That purity is a gift. It's a gift. You can't get there on your own. When you come to Christ, he forgives you, purifies your heart, and gives you the power to live a righteous life. The next thing he does is fill you full of love. And I see people who tell me they're Christians all the time, and they are not full of love. But the Bible says if you're a Christian, you're going to be full of love. He said in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are one of my what? Disciples when they see your love for one another. John, uh, 1 John 3, 14. We know that we've been saved. We know that we have passed from death to life. That means we've been saved. That doesn't mean that you died on the earth and went to heaven yet. It means you got saved. When you get saved, when you accept Jesus Christ, you pass from, everybody say it, to, and so he's not talking about dying and going to heaven here. He's talking about you becoming a new person, a new cre creation, a new creature here on this earth. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed, we know that we're saved, and here's how we know, because we love our brothers. True love wants the very best for someone, no matter what it costs. And then he says, Obedience, obedience. The way of the Christian is one of obedience, service. And there's only one master to the Christian, and his name is Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 17, 14, the Bible says he is Lord of lords and King of kings. So, first of all, a Christian is someone who believes Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to God. Number two, number two, y'all with me? All right, number two. A, a true Christian, a true Christian not only believes Jesus Christ is the only way to be made right with God, reconciled with God. Number two, a Christian is someone who enjoys on this earth an abundant life. That don't mean you have an abundance of riches, but it means you live life to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10, 10. Now, the vision statement of the bridge is giving life by giving Christ, and this is the verse we base our vision statement on. Jesus says, I have come that those who are lost, that those who are not in the family of God, that those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians says that, I have come that those people might have, everybody say it, life and have it to the full, the abundant life. Do you have it? Do you have that life? Do you have the abundant life Jesus promised? You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, let me ask you something. If I ask if you were married, would you say I'm not sure? I mean, these are things we can know. Listen, listen, get some confidence as a child of God. Have you believed on the cross of Jesus and that he died in your place on that cross? Do you believe they buried him in a grave? Do you believe three days later he rose from the dead? Have you received him into your heart as your personal savior? Then when somebody asks you if you're a Christian, don't tremble and don't stutter. Look at them and say, yes, I am a child of God. You say, but I don't want to be prideful, pastor. I don't want to be prideful. Can I ask you something? 
How in the world can you be prideful when you had nothing to do with it? You're bragging on him. People say, well, you know, I hope so. I hope I go to heaven. I'd hate to live like that. I'd hate to go to bed at night and go, oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh. But a lot of us were raised like that. A lot of us, we kind of got taught, we kind of got taught that kind of sideways, you know, and we go to bed at night and go, oh, did I think maybe there's something I didn't, mm. no, I'll guarantee you got sins you, you hadn't repented for because you didn't know you did it or you did it and you forgot it. And listen, You've been adopted into the family of God. You've been born again. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. You've been saved into the family of God. It had nothing to do with you. You're going to mess up. You say, yeah, but I got to repeat. Listen, you are imperfect. You're going to be imperfect when you die. But if you've received Christ through the cross and the empty tomb and you've accepted him and you're living your life for him, you say, God, I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to live the rest of my life for you. I want you to be king and Lord and master and savior of my life. And you've done that. Let me tell you that. Let me tell you something imperfections, perfections, you've been adopted into the family of God and you can rest in that truth. You can rest in it. Stop being unsure about that. Now, I'm going to give you a little note here that's not in the sermon. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John is all about blessed assurance. He says in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, over and over and over, that you might know, that you might know. Well, I think we just read it, uh, or we're about to read it. Look at, um, go back, guys, uh, if I can get you to back up to that, those John scriptures. Back up one. Get my guys to do that for me. Uh, back up one more. <clears throat> yeah, right here it is. We What? We what? No. We hope. <laughs> you going to heaven? How many of you would be sure that you're going to heaven if it was based on you? How many of you know because it's based on Him? Amen. Yes, this is important. This is important. That you know, that you know, that you know. You say, yeah, but I messed up yesterday. Just once? Really? <laughs> now, I'm going to just let you guys figure out where I was. All right? I love y'all, man. Look at John 10, 28. Jesus said, I give them eternal life that they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That is the triple blessing right there, baby. You got the triple blessing, eternal life in Jesus. You're never going to perish. Nobody can take you away from Jesus. That's a triple blessing. So when people look at you and say, are you a child of God? Don't stammer, don't stutter, don't tremble. If you know that you have bowed before him humbly and made him the Lord of your life and said, Lord, I want you to sit on the throne of my heart, then don't you fret. You are a child of God. Number three. Anybody need this? 
Number three, a Christian is someone, first of all, let's go back. A Christian is someone who believes Jesus Christ is the only way. A Christian is someone who enjoys a full and abundant life. Number three, a Christian is someone who has been born into God's family. And therefore, since they've been born into God's family, they become a child of God. And you may ask, I thought everybody was a child of God. Well, you'd be wrong about that. As a matter of fact, if you'll let me be blunt this morning, as if I would need your permission, um, the Bible actually says you are either a child of God or a child of the devil. So if you're one of the devil's children, just raise, no, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Nowhere does God teach that God is everybody's father. As a matter of fact, when you go over to Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 12, he talks about chastisement. He talks about being a parent that disciplines his children, and it says there that he doesn't even spank the devil's kids. It says in Hebrews 12 that he just spanks his kids. That's why some of you guys look at sinners, people who aren't following God, and you think they're doing better than you are. Listen, they've got to make a balloon payment at the end. You're on a pay-as-you-go plan. Y'all with me? I'll take that. I'll take the pay-as-you-go plan because at the end, I want my account settled at the end, don't you? You know, uh, we used to live over there, Millie and I, I uh, used to live over in the Parsonage. It was across the street, that uh, split-level house over there. When we first moved here in 1990, and Brandon and Mitch were little, and they'd be outside throwing rocks and breaking windows sometimes. Well, Millie look out the kitchen window and see maybe three children out there throwing rocks and breaking windows. But she only called two of them in and punished them. Which two were they? Her two. No, not mine. Her two. Somebody said, York. They when they act like that, they're not mine. They're hers. And listen, this is important. Some of you guys are frustrated because you see people who don't love God, don't love the Bible, don't love Jesus, blah, 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 and they're doing way better than you are in the eyes of the world. And you think that's unfair. I'm telling you that it could very well be that God knows what it takes to keep you in line, and when you fail and when you falter, he deals with you right then as a parent, but they're not his kids. So sometimes it looks like they're doing better than you are. Y'all with me on this? But when we get to the end, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. And he's going to look at that person you've been jealous of the whole time you lived on this earth, and he's going to say, I don't know you. So I'm good with the pay-as-you-go plan. Aren't you? You better be. God is the creator of all people, but he's not the father of all people. To join God's family, fill in a little blank right here, you've got to be born into it. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus said, I, I want to go to heaven when I die, Jesus. Now Nicodemus was religious. Nicodemus was a religious leader. Nicodemus was a Bible scholar. Nicodemus was in the hierarchy of the church of that day. He wore the church clothes. He had a church hat. He was churchy. He was covered in churchiness. But he knew he wasn't ready to go to heaven. Are y'all listening? So he came to Jesus in the middle of the night and he said, Jesus, 
I am a great religious man. I am high on the pole of authority in the church. But I need to ask you something, sir. Am I ready to go to heaven? I mean, when I die, I really want to go to heaven. How do I go to heaven when I die? Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, a lot of people want to laugh at that. Matter of fact, it freaked Nicodemus out. He said, you talking about going up back in mama and coming back out of mama? And Jesus went, no. He said, you've already had a human birth, a natural birth. I've met a few people I thought may have been hatched, but most people I know had a normal birth. But there's a second birth you've got to experience or you're not in God's family. And it's a spiritual birth. A lady came out one time, <clears throat> I was a young preacher. She said, you keep saying you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. She said, why do you keep saying that? I said, because you must be born again. <laughs> I mean, I don't want anybody standing before God and saying, Pastor Farrell gave it as multiple choice. It's not multiple choice. Being born again is one way. No, being born again is the only way. And why do I say that? Because I'm a narrow-minded bigot? No. Because that's what Jesus said. Unless a man is born again, what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. You say, I don't understand that. Well, I don't think I can help you. Because that's about as clear as it gets. To become a child of God, to become a child of the Heavenly Father, you have to have a spiritual birth. And that means you repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus. So what about you? Have you done it? Do you know you're a child of God, that you're going to heaven when you die? One other thing. Let's, uh, so, so to join God's family, you've got to be born into it. Let's look at the next thing. To join God's family, you've got to admit that your sins have separated you from God. Now here's what that means. You've got to say, I'm a sinner. Now, here's what we're taught, we, we uh, preachers these days. We're taught that if you tell people they're sinners, they might be offended. Well, be offended. Because I'm telling you, before you come to Jesus Christ, you're a sinner. Now, when I say you're a sinner, here's what I mean by that. I mean you are cut off from God. Now, I'm a Christian, and I still mess up. I still sin, but I'm not a sinner in the sense that I don't have a relationship with God anymore. Does that make sense? So <clears throat> you have to understand, sin is what separates me from God. Look at Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, the payment for sin is what? Death. And then Romans 3.23, how many of us have sinned? All. Now the Greek word for all there means what? Exactly. All have sinned. And fallen short. I think that's funny. That means we've all got fallen shorts. Right there it is in the Bible. <laughs> all have sinned and fallen short of the what? You, you might say I'm as good as my Christian neighbor over here. And you might be not just good. You might be better. But you've fallen short of the glory of God. See, the comparison is not with your neighbor. The comparison is not with another person in the church. So if you want... To go to heaven when you die, you've got to start by admitting that you're cut off from God by sin and you need to get that right. So you've got to admit that. And I don't know much about AA and all of that, uh, but 
It's my understanding that when you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you're not going to really get very far till the day comes when you stand up in front of that group and say, I am an alcoholic. And when you say, I am an alcoholic, then you can start getting fixed. You can start getting better. You can, they can help you, but you have to admit it. And you have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to admit that you're lost. The, the next thing you need to notice here is that to join God's family, you have to believe. Now, you say, Bill, a while ago you said believing wasn't enough. It's not enough. And it's not just belief, but it is what you believe. You believe in what Christ did for you on the cross, that it was payment for your sin. But you don't only believe, listen to this now, this is important. You don't just believe in the work of Jesus Christ, cross and empty tomb. You receive for yourself the work of Jesus Christ. You receive what was done on the cross for you personally. He did it for you personally. Not that he just did it for all of us, but he did it for you personally, and you accept it for yourself personally. Look at 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ died for sins. Look at that. What does it say? Once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that is Jesus the righteous, died for the unrighteous, us, to, for, for this purpose, to do what? See, we've got to be reconciled back to God where we got separated in the Garden of Eden. You say, I don't understand. Here's the good thing about that. You don't have to. You don't really have to understand everything. You don't even really have to fully understand how God can take your sins and put them on His Son, Jesus Christ. You don't need to understand that, uh, uh, everything at once. All you got to do is believe it. Just believe that. Uh, that's all He asks of you. You may not understand it all in the beginning, but once you commit your life to Christ and you get in the Bible and we have many, many classes here and many small group opportunities for you to get involved in where you begin to learn these things you don't know, you don't have to get that here. There are other good churches where you can get that. We have it here. We'd love to have you here. But it's not important that we build this church. What's important is that we build the kingdom of God. Uh, the final thing that if you want to join God's family, you've got to confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. So once you've believed and you've received, you've repented, you said, I'm a sinner, and you're, go and you're going this way, you're going this way in life, you're just going along, you're going towards sin, you're going towards self, you're going towards Satan, you hear the gospel preached like you're hearing it this morning, the Holy Spirit deals with your heart, and you say, this is what I need, and so you do an about-face. Repent's a military term. You do an about-face, and you go in the opposite direction. You are turning your back on sin, self, and Satan. You are turning fully to God and saying, the rest of my life, I will go in this direction because I want to follow God the rest of my life. I confess that I am a sinner. I believe on the cross that it was for me. The resurrection was for me. I receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I receive his forgiveness for my sin. And I confess him now as Lord and Savior of my life. Look what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Now we used that word last week in our sermon. 
You remember when we got to that word, acquit? We talked about that legal term, he acquits you. That's what that means right there. He declares you clean. He declares you justified. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your, say it, mouth that you confess and are. All right. So the best way I know for a person to come to Jesus Christ, make him Lord of your life, is simply to, at some point, we're going to do it today, but at some point you've got to bow your head in prayer and you've got to confess <clears throat> your sins to God. And by faith, you've got to open your heart to Jesus Christ. You've got to believe in him and receive him. Let me just read a prayer. And you don't have to do this prayer. You do your own prayer. But this is just a prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to be a real Christian. And I realize that my sins have separated me from you. I accept your forgiveness of my sins, all my sins. And I believe in what Jesus, I believe in what you did for me on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you died and rose from the dead. I, I, I don't fully understand it all, but I accept it by faith. And I want to be a child of yours. I want to be born into your family. Book of Romans, I want to be adopted into your family. Please, Lord Jesus, come into my life and become Lord of my life. I want to become your child right now. From this day on, I'll follow you and obey you to the best of my ability and with your help. So what do we do after that? What do we do after we get saved? You've got to read his word. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we got a Bible for you. We're going to give it to you right over here when you leave today. Just go right over there and get you a free Bible. Right over here in the corner where it says, Belong, Commit, Grow, Serve. If you're witnessing to a family member or a friend or somebody at work, you want to get them a Bible, you pick it up and take it to them. Read the Bible. That's going to help you get stronger. That's going to help you grow. I'd start in the book of John, and I'd read the book of John. And then I'd go over to Proverbs, because Proverbs gives you some practical Ways to walk and live your life as a Christian. Those are two of the first books I would read. The second thing you need to do once you become a Christian is you need to meet other Christians. Now, you don't have to go to this church, but you need to get in church. You need to get in a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. You need to join a ministry team and start serving and being a blessing to others. You need to get in a small group or take some classes and begin to learn and get your roots down deep so that when the storms of life come, you don't get blown over. The next thing you need to learn to do is pray. You need to learn to talk to God. Now, when you pray, be yourself. Don't pray in the King James Version. Because if you pray in the King James Version, God's going to look to the right of himself and see those angels and go, what is he saying? I don't even know him. Stop doing that. Just be yourself. Just talk to God. Just talk to him out of your heart. It's a conversation. Here's something that helps me when I don't know how to pray and I can't get my thoughts together. You know what I do? I sit down at the computer and I type it out word for word. Type out my prayers. I'll just write them out. I read the prayers of other people. I'm putting prayers on Facebook all the time. I learn to pray from other people. But, but when you type out your prayers, you say, why don't you just write them out? Because it looks like I wrote it in tongues. So, so I type it so I can go back and read it. And, and, and that helps you stay focused. Here, here's another thing that will help you in your prayer life. Make a list. Make a list. Uh, here's the missionaries I'm praying for. 
military people I'm praying for. Here's some people that don't know Jesus yet that I'm praying for them to come to know Jesus. Here's some sick people I want to see them get healed. Uh, I want to pray for my pastor and pray for my staff and pray for my church. And I want to pray for my family and lift up my friends. And maybe you've got financial problems. You can write that down. God, I need this and you know I need it. And you, you, get, you bring your needs to God. You have not because you ask not. And so i got to tell you, this whole thing of being a Christian is not hard. It's not easy. It's, it's not hard. It, it's actually very simple. Now, when you decide to follow Jesus, you're going against the current. So that's why you need to be in church, because you, you need people to help you paddle. You need people to help you paddle against the current. Because sometimes, see, Pastor Farrell drifts off. I drift. And when I drift, people in this church know me and love me. They reach out there and get me. And then when you drift, we'll all see you drift and we'll reach out there and get you. We need each other. Does this make sense? So I hope today, if you don't know him, that you will come to know him. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to go to heaven when you leave this world. Would you just bow your head? Just pray this in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Dear God, I need you in my life. I've been running, God, and I've been listening to the wrong sources. And uh, I've doubted you, God. I've doubted your love. And I've watched some Christians who say one thing and live another thing, and that caused me to be confused. But I'm going to get my eyes off of all that, and I'm looking to you alone today, Lord. You've never failed me. You've never let me down. My eyes are on you. And today, I, I give you my life. I turn my back on sin. I admit I'm a sinner and I turn my back on it. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead for me. I receive that you did that for me. I don't just believe it, but I receive it into my life. You're risen from the dead. I receive you into my life, Jesus. I want to follow you from this day on. I want to live for you from this day on. You can have my life. Now, if you want to come up to the altar when we dismiss and have somebody pray with you, we'll have some people up here. They'll pray with you. But uh, you don't have to do that. Right there where you sit, right there where you are right now, you can make this decision. You can make this decision. I'm, with God's help, with the church's help, I'm going to follow Jesus from this day on. I need you, Jesus.